Recently, there were several big name celebrities that passed away. Olivia Newton-John, and then more recently, Anne Heche. And for me, it made me question how celebrity deaths affect our lives. On one hand, you could say, I don't know this person. I've never met them. Why would I be sad? But on the other hand, you can look deeper and say, I had a connection to whatever it is they gave the world, their art, their poetry, their music, their writings, whatever it is. Do you get upset when celebrities pass away? I know I do. And so I wanted to talk about that today and how the passing of Anne Heche has affected my life. And I'm curious what celebrity passings affect you. Because some people say celebrity passings shouldn't affect us, that we're ridiculous if they do. Because this person doesn't know you and they never will. I think there's more to it than that. So, let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk, stories and observations beyond small talk. I am your host, Jody Rollins, and I had every intention of doing this particular show last week or, you know, Monday, probably Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe Thursday, the latest. And here it is, Saturday, August 20th. And... The reason why, part of it is what it's been lately. When you have a one-year-old, you're tired, you have a lot to do with them, my husband's busy season, blah, 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 all the excuses. But I knew I wanted to do a show about the passing of Anne Heche. And if I'm being completely honest, which I try to be, and I... I'd say I do a very good job of it because this is catharsis for me. I am pretty open. I was really touched by her death and so much information started to come out. And I thought, well, okay, I want to talk about this piece and this is my perception and this was my experience. And then more came out and more came out and I started to do research and go down the rabbit hole and look at her social media and all of this stuff that I was reading about her and, you know, watching old, old interviews and more current interviews. And it just became in some ways even more fascinating and in other ways even more tragic. And for those of you who may not have thought about it or heard about it or paid much attention to it, Anne Heche was a very talented actor, and she died last week in the most, I mean, tragic is the only word that comes to mind. She died in one of the most tragic ways I could think of. And again, if you hadn't heard, 
you know, some people don't think about these things or whatever. But for me, it was just like a big deal. And I was really glued to the coverage and all the information that came out. But what happened was just it seemed randomly she was in her Mini Cooper, a countryman to be precise, and she was driving erratically. And she had a minor crash and another minor crash, almost hitting a woman. And, you know, when somebody crashes, people like run to see, hey, you know, are you okay? What happened? What's going on? Do you need help? And that's what happened. And she just flipped it into reverse and took off. And people were able to take pictures. There's one last picture of her. And she looks out of it. She looks a little crazed and there's a little small like travel size vodka bottle in her like cup holder in the center console. She's wearing <clears throat> like a tank top and maybe jeans or shorts. I don't know which. And her hair is a little bit messy. And she just looks like she's staring at the person who took the picture kind of shocked. And you can Google it and see this picture. But after one of those or after two of those accidents, she took off down the road and who knows how far, I don't know how far she drove, but shortly thereafter, she is seen on somebody's ring doorbell camera speeding down the road, driving at almost 100 miles an hour. They clocked her at around 90. And she drives straight into, like if you were looking down the road and you were driving the car, she comes to a T intersection where she's supposed to stop and the other traffic is crossing in front of her. Now, I don't know if they had a stop sign as well or not, or how busy these roads are. But if you're looking at where she ends up driving into, all you see is those giant, really tall shrubs where you can't see behind them. You know, it's almost like a privacy fence. And she drove straight through that into a home. And I saw when I'm, I was doing my, my research, there's after video of firefighters and people cleaning up. And whenever I, I, I first, or if you think about somebody crashing into a home, you may have heard about it before. Maybe you see a YouTube video or something. You envision that someone like drives into the front door and maybe like the front of the front end of their car is like slightly through the house, maybe 10 feet. And that's what I envisioned. Her car went all the way through this house, almost out the back. Like she went through the entire house with very little to spare before she actually would have hit the back wall and been in the backyard where thankfully the homeowner and I believe her dogs were safely hanging out and no one was harmed. Her house lost, the homeowner's house lost, completely damaged, nothing, just smoke and, you know, burnt and crashed into. And so Anne just drove through this house and apparently she was trapped in her car. It took firefighters a while to get her out. I think it may have been close to an hour, if not longer. And just the car blew up and into flames, basically. And so Anne um, suffered severe burns. And what we learned later is she had, I believe what it was called, I don't want to mispronounce it, an anox or anoxic brain injury, which can be caused or is caused by lack of oxygen. And that can generally be caused by um, smoke inhalation or some other things. But in this case, they believe it was probably smoke inhalation. 
And you can see, because this video went viral, where the firefighters finally get her out of this car and they put her on the gurney and they're rushing her to the ambulance and she's like flailing. She like sits up and they have to kind of push her back down. And it's just, oh, apparently she was screaming and seemed out of it. That's what, you know, witnesses said. I don't know what out of it means when you're up and awake, but, you know, to me, out of it means like you're not there in some way. And then they, you know, whisk her off to the hospital. And the first reports were that she had severe burns, had a long recovery ahead, but she was stable. And then the next thing you know, I don't know what the time frame was, a day maybe or two, I'm not even sure, at least when it was released, it was she's not expected to live. They're just, you know, she's on a ventilator. They're keeping her alive so that they can keep her organs good. And she's an organ donor and they want to make sure they can harvest the organs. And then essentially they'll, I guess, I hate to say it this way, but pull the plug. And that's what happened. And she died. And she was 53 years old. 53 year old, 53 years old to some of course is old, but as someone who is <clears throat> close to that age, it's not old. And for those of you who are in your twenties or even thirties, it gets here before you realize it. Like life is a blur in many ways and it speeds up the older you get. And, um, <clears throat> So, I mean, she was still vibrant and beautiful and full of life. And just hearing about this tragic loss, I started to think, okay, so several things. Number one, she's a celebrity that I never met, never saw, nothing. You know, um, you guys, if you've been loyal, longtime listeners know that I've met a lot of celebrities from waiting tables, from working in the entertainment business, all kinds of things. I've met a lot of them, or at least seen a lot of them from living in Los Angeles and New York City. And she's not one of them. But I had this like heavy sadness about her death. And I was thinking to myself, the second thing, with celebrity deaths, why do they affect us so much or how they affect us in what way? Like, what is that all about? People we don't know and we've never met. A lot of times people will say, you know, you'll see on social media, they're like, it's a celebrity. Why are they getting all this attention? You don't know them. Why do you care? They didn't know that you existed. But that doesn't matter. And for me, I was thinking, okay, well, right before that, either a day or so, or I don't know exactly how long, but right before that, Olivia Newton-John died from Greece. And I have watched Greece like everybody else. I know I'm a weirdo, but I actually like Greece 2 better. I know all the songs from Greece 2. Love it. I've seen it multiple times. Came out when I was like a teenager, whereas Greece came out, I don't know, did it come out before I was born? I'm not even sure when it came out. All right, now I'm going to have to ask the Google. <laughs> Just, uh, I don't know. It came, I don't want to change because I have some, some, I have uh, some clips I want to play for you and I don't want to mess them up. But 
all that to say, I just didn't connect to Grease, the original. And Olivia Newton-John came out with this song, Let's Get Physical, in the 80s that was really popular. I kind of liked it. Another song called Xanadu, which I absolutely loved. And then whatever else she did in her career along the way, she was really beloved. People adored this woman and, you know, felt very connected to her because she was part of this iconic musical. And for me, I was like, Oh, well, I mean, that's too bad. Sorry, she died, but it meant nothing to me. I had seen her house in um, just north of Malibu many years ago. Somebody pointed it out to me. I was like, wow, that's where she lives, or at least one of her houses, who knows. And even then, I just didn't feel any kind of connection to her. And so knowing that there's these people who are so famous and we don't know them, but one of them, you just go, oh, you know, that's too bad. And the other one, like I mentioned, I got kind of a heavy, sad feeling like, wow, what a loss. I wanted to sort of investigate it and <clears throat> talk about it with you guys because there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to really consider when it comes to celebrity deaths. And I want to kind of go back in time with my, air quotes, relationship with Anne Heche, because that's what I've sort of figured out, is that with celebrities, whoever you like, whether it's musicians, um, actors, singers, dancers, writers, whatever they are, any creative type that has even, actually, I'll take it back, any kind of athlete that is famous, that you feel a connection to, your favorite team, whatever, your favorite Olympian, whatever they are, you actually have a relationship with them. Now, obviously, it's probably mostly one-sided, if not completely. The only way it's ever two-sided is if you meet them, you maybe bump into them and you say, oh my God, can I get your autograph? Or you, you know, commented on their Instagram and they like it or they comment back or whatever. If you get a cameo from them, that's even still one-sided. They just know your name. But mostly our relationships with celebrities are just that, one-sided. But they are a relationship because if they're around long enough, you have a history with them especially when singers die. Because I was thinking one of my all-time favorite singers is John Mayer. And I just, I love his voice and a lot of his music. It, it kind of informs my history because each album, I went through different things in my life, you know, because one album came out when I was like hanging out in LA with these group of friends. And then another album came out when I was like dating this guy. And another album came out when I'd already broken up with him. So it's like your own sort of personal life soundtrack that we all have. And specifically, John Mayer was a very important time in my life. And even now, I don't really buy his music. I'll hear that here and there, but I still like it. I don't know why. Just, um, But I thought to myself, gosh, if John Mayer just somehow died all of the sudden, I would be really, really sad because that's the death of a voice that's part of my life, like my own soundtrack. And if an actor dies, how sad it may be, but generally speaking, someone else could possibly play that role either as good 
or almost as good or maybe better, whatever role we're talking about in the future. But when a singer or songwriter dies, that's it. You know, another favorite songwriter, singer-songwriter is Michael McDonald. He's like 100 years old. Okay, not really. He's like, I think he's 70-something. I will be sad when he dies because his voice speaks to my soul. Like I went to his concert a few years back. I may have even mentioned this before. It was like I was on literal cloud nine. I had permagrin. I, it was one of the best things I ever did for my life was to go see this man in concert. His voice is just magical to me. Like literally it's just, there's no other voice male or female that like goes into my soul and my spirit like Michael McDonald. So when he dies, that's it. Like I'll only have his old music and he's got a huge catalog, but there will never be anything new and there will never be an opportunity again for me to see him in concert. I was actually looking recently. I wanted to see him in concert. He's performing with his original band called the Doobie Brothers. I'm not a fan of the Doobie Brothers. So I'm like, dang it. I just want to see him by himself again. So I just don't want him to die until I get to see him at least one other time in concert. But I mention this because of the relationships we have with these celebrities. So let's go back in time with my relationship with Anne Heche. And then I want to go forward to sort of explain why it was so touching to me. And then I want to play some clips and share some information that I found out about her and it's really tragic before she died. And it's just, oh, her life is one of the most tragic life stories I've ever heard of. Like sincerely, it's, it's prophetic and poetic in a horrific way. And, you know, we all have ups and downs. We all have things we go through. We all have you know, good things that happened to us and bad things that happened to us, but her life had so much tragedy. And so I guess I want to share some of that with you. And then, you know, just really I dig into how sad it is that she's gone and how when a celebrity dies, it affects us. And I think that that's okay. I sincerely do. You know, no matter what you see online or whatever, well, no, you didn't even know them. You know, somebody's always going to say that. It's okay to be affected because these people are part of our lives. Again, we have a relationship with them, however one-sided it is. So going back in time, before we do, I do want to take a moment to do the business Thank you guys for tuning into the show. If this is your first time, thank you so much. I don't know how you found the show, but I'm glad that you did. If you are a longtime listener, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can get in touch with the show by writing me at bigtimesmalltalkpodcast at gmail.com. Check me out on my socials, uh, at Jody Rollins on Instagram or at Jody's Box on Twitter. You can also leave a voice message. Click the show notes and leave a voice message. I love hearing from you guys. And um, sometimes I'll play them. I haven't really played in many of them lately on the show, but I love hearing from you. And maybe I'll play your voice message on the show. Good, bad, or indifferent, go ahead and leave me a voice message. I'm always happy to hear from you. Um, what 
else. If you haven't yet, please uh, leave a review. I would love it if you would click five stars, but you know, you have to do what you have to do and leave the actual written review. It makes a huge difference on whether or not people do tune in or even give the show a chance. And then lastly, share the show. If you could, it would mean the world to me because I am trying to continue to grow this show. This is my passion. I expect to do this for many, many years because it takes a long time when you're not a celebrity and you don't have a machine to promote your show and market it. Market it. it takes a long time and I expect to do that, but I need your help. And the way to do that is to share the show with your friends, your family member, just shoot them a text and say, hey, you might like this, you know, post it on your social media. This is a show I really enjoy. Check out this podcast, whatever way, you know, tell a phone, tell a friend, whatever, it doesn't matter. I would appreciate it. And then, um, like I said, just please just write those reviews. I listen to podcasts and I found myself not leaving reviews, even though I ask for them every week and I started to, and I have done it myself. So I no longer feel any guilt. I left reviews for the shows that I listen to. So it's easy. Go ahead and do that if you would be so kind. So that's that. I'm trying to think if there's anything coming up with the show. Oh, yes, a piece of news. Okay, so I've tried a lot of different things. If you've li listened to the show when I started it in September 20, September of 2020 to now, I've tried all kinds of things. I used to do what was called the sex episode. I, what else? I was going to try to do like a live streaming online YouTube version of the show. I used to post, like I tried all different things. And for me, I try to do something that is, um, how do I want to say this, is authentic for me and organic. And some of the things I tried, I liked them, or maybe I didn't, or they didn't work or whatever. I've tried, even when I considered doing, and I did do for a little bit, the subscription episodes, it was so much more work. And I did that right when I had a newborn. It was crazy of me. Maybe someday I will go back to that. But cranking out two shows a week when I'm really struggling to get one out was not possible. So I guess on one hand, you could say those were failures, but I think in life you have to try things and you do what works and what, what doesn't work, you leave behind. And so it's a learning process for me. And, um, you know, I think that's how I get better at this. And that's how the show grows and I grow. And hopefully you, you guys will continue to listen and like the show more as I do better and get better. So that being said, my next um, uh, thing that I want to try is I am going to and I read about this online, I'm going to try to do a couple of like, what I'm calling like directors cuts of each episode, which is I will sort of play five to seven minutes, maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter, probably not too much shorter than five minutes of each episode and listen and record it for my YouTube channel. So you can kind of hear like a sneak peek and watch a sneak peek of the show and I guess watch my reaction and then I'll kind of cut in and say, this is what I think I was thinking here, or this is the mistake I made, or this is what I meant to say. And I didn't say this clearly, or just sort of, it's like a fun behind the scenes version, sneak peek, truncated version of the show. 
Hopefully that makes sense. And so again, it's just short, probably 10 minutes max, honestly, max. And, you know, when you watch a director's cut of a film, you know, the director's talking about what they were trying to um, accomplish or something you didn't know about or whatever. And that's what I want to try to do. So I think that'll be fun. And so I'll be posting those. You can watch them on my YouTube channel and I'll be posting those along with the episodes. And again, here I go making more work for myself, but I'll probably end up posting the episode on one day and then the YouTube director's cut, you know, one or two days later, because I literally, like I've said to you guys, like right now, it's almost midnight and everybody in the house is sleeping. So I just have to try to record when I can record right now. It's pitch black. I don't have any lights on except for the light of my computer screen. And that just doesn't work when you're trying to record a YouTube video. So I don't know, maybe I'll record them with my baby, <laughs> but she just squeals a lot and has a lot to say. I'm going to find a way to do it. And I'm going to just test out like two or three episodes and see how that works. That way I'm making no promises. I'm making no guarantees, but I guarantee I'll try it. I'll see if I get feedback from you guys or from new listeners and see what you think. And if I can actually pull this off and you guys enjoy it, I'll keep going. Because I just think that's a fun way because everybody's busy and, and you know, listening to a 45 minute to an hour podcast, maybe you don't always have time or it takes you a minute or you want to know what's going on with the show. And this way you can just, you know, click on your YouTube when you're, I don't know, on a plane, on a train, on a bus, you know, not driving in your car, at work, your lunch hour, at school, as you're studying, as you're whatever you're doing, maybe playing it, kind of glancing over at it. That's what I do when I watch YouTube, you know, feeding my daughter, whatever. So I'm going to try. Director's Cuts editions of Big Time Small Talk. Again, you can watch them on my YouTube channel. And I'll let you guys know when I do the first one. Maybe it'll be for this particular episode. I'll post it on my Instagram. Check out my Instagram stories because that's the most current and up-to-date information about the show. Again, that's at Jody Rollins. And same with my YouTube channel, Jody Rollins. Jody. Jody Rollum. Jody Rollins. Very easy to find because it's my name. So um, subscribe to my YouTube channel so you don't miss it. And we'll see how that all goes. Okay. So end of business. <sighs> so I want to take you sort of on a journey of my interaction. Again, my relationship is one-sided, but what I experienced with Anne Heche. And we have to, in order to do that, we have to go back to the 90s. Way, way, way back to the 90s. And Anne Heche was, okay, so let me start with what I didn't know about her. And when I sort of did some research about her and I kind of found out, I guess I, I knew some of it, but she, her, her life as I mentioned, was so tragic. So before she was born, her sister died of, I don't even remember what, it's so many details, but at, at a very young age, I don't, maybe it was two or less than two or, but as a baby. And then she was born and, and she had older siblings 
and um, her then she had another sister that died after she was born. So that's two deceased siblings. And her mom and dad were very religious and they moved her around all the time. She and the whole family were moving. I think she said they moved some 11 to 15 times, which is a lot. And then her brother died on the day of his graduation. He was on his way to gra graduation and died in a car crash, which Anne Hayes herself says she believed was suicide. And in between all of that, or before all of that, Anne Hayes alleges that she was molested by her father from the time she was a baby for years. So much so that she got herpes from her own father. Now this is what she alleges. Her mother says, this is not true. Her sister says, this is not true. But they believe that she believes it. So I don't know. A lot of times moms of children who are molested don't wanna believe it and neither do siblings because that changes their whole life, even if they weren't molested or if they were as well, and they don't wanna face it. My sense is it was true, but who knows? So that's terrible. Even if she just thinks that that was true, that means something's going wrong, right? In her life, in her brain, I don't know. And so now two dead sisters and a dead brother, possibly by suicide and molestation, her dad ends up coming out as gay when she's like a young teenager or preteen. And then later on, he dies of HIV. So just craziness. And then the mom was, I don't know what was going on in her life, but they, Anne Heche ends up being homeless. And right after she's homeless, she ends up uh, doing some kind of play. So it was still when she was a teenager and somebody sees her, some casting director or someone, and they get her an audition with a soap opera. I think it was Another World. And she gets the part and thus begins her acting career. She had long blonde hair. She has really unique features. If you're not familiar with her, very small eyes and a, a, like kind of a prominent jaw, but very a very unique face, like a one of a kind beauty, but very unique. And um, so she was on a soap opera and then she starts doing movies. And I've seen a lot of her movies. One of my favorites was Wag the Dog. She was in Psycho. Um, there was a show called Allie McBeal, which was really, really popular in the 90s. And she had a, a role on that show. And I just remember thinking, this woman is so talented. Like I just, something about her, I really loved the way she could morph into whatever character, whenever, however. Sometimes she was rough around the edges. Sometimes she was soft. Sometimes she was smart. Sometimes she was quirky. It always was believable because she was that talented. And one of the things that stuck out to me was her voice. She had this very unique way of kind of speaking. It's, it was a little breathy, but, um, and also kind of a little nasal, but not in a bad way. I, I can't, that's the best that I can do of her. And I want to play a clip of her, but there was something about it that almost seemed to me like a violin, very sweet and endearing. And I'm a person, obviously I do podcasts. I love 
speaking voices. Obviously not everybody's speaking voices, but sound effects, um, certain, the way certain movies have sound, um, talk radio, podcasts. There are old uh, mystery radio shows back in like the 40s, 50s, I think in the 60s and 70s. And I used to listen to them when I was a kid and it was like old stuff from, from the 40s and they would play them on the radio and it'd be like, you know how the old timey movies when they talk, you hear the sound effects, it was like, you know, someone knocks on the door, it's like, who is it? Come in. Yeah, my dog always barks every single time I do a knock because she thinks someone's at the door. Julia, no one's here. <sighs> I know she's going to bark for a second, but they would always have that kind of old timey voice and the, you know, like a door would slam and a drawer would close and they'd be like, say, fellas, I think we need to go down to the pool hall and find out what's going on. Let's bring the dames and we'll get to the bottom of this. And then there'd be this woman who'd be like, I don't know. What's the reason for it? Hey, daddy-o, I think we need to have a cigarette and get started. And then there'd be like this, you know, very like, serious woman who'd be like, well, fellas, there are many reasons a woman does the thing she does, but I'm not going to tell you because every woman should have her secrets, whatever. I just loved voices and sound effects and all of these things. So it's always been my thing, even when I was a little kid. And one of my first presents from my grandmother was a, a little small Panasonic tape recorder, which that ages me. And I walked around with this thing and I recorded my voice and I made all these shows and some of them I still have, but I loved and still love sounds. And so Anne Heche's voice has always stuck out to me. And then later on in her career, and I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but I do want to play this clip. She did a show called Hung with somebody she dated. And um, she also will get into the rest of her life because I don't want to go through all of that. We're going to kind of try to go in chronological order. But she sort of disappeared. Like I forgot about her. I didn't think about her. She didn't seem to do anything else and or very little. And I didn't know what happened to her. And then the next thing you know, she's deceased. And then I find out she has a podcast and I don't know how long she's had it, but I have a clip from that too. And I wanna play them for you right now, real quick. Um, the first clip is, let me see, let me start with this one. The first clip I think will help you guys, hopefully, hear what I hear. Just a very sweetness in her voice. And this to me is how she sounded and this is all I remembered of how she sounded and how she spoke. And then the second clip I want to play for you is from like weeks or months before she died. And it's so different. Her voice is not at all the same. And the thing about the human voice in general, of course, as we age, it changes. But in general, it's like, a fingerprint. You know, your fingerprints are the way they are. And over time, they wear down a little bit. Like I waited tables off and on, but more on than off for 25 years. And so I carried that main sort of beverage tray on my left hand. And anytime I have to get fingerprinted, which you may say like, well, what are you doing getting all these fingerprints? When you adopt a child, you have to get your fingers printed, as I like to say, 
like every year. So while you're going through the process, you get your fingers printed and they have to be on, on record for the Department of Justice, right? You can't adopt a kid unless you do that. So I would get my fingers, you, they have the digital thing and you, they roll your finger in the thing and then certain fingers wouldn't show up very well and they'd have to redo it and it still wouldn't show up and they'd have to like smash it down because my ring finger was sort of worn down because that was where the tray really ba balanced. And so, yes, it's my fingerprint. And yes, essentially, it's not changed. But over time, it has worn down. And that's the same with the human voice. If you think about an older or elderly person, like some, their voices change more than other others. Think about Joe Biden. He kind of sounds like this. America, I'm going to get, you know, he sounds like an old man. Whereas Trump, he sounds about the same as he sounded 25 years ago. I mean, more or less. He doesn't really sound as old, and God knows why I picked these two people, but you know, just voices we all generally know. And so, for the most part, we sound about the same. Unless you smoke, um, you've had a drug problem, or you smoke and you've had a drug problem, you drink, you, I don't know, maybe if you're in some kind of accident that affects your vocal cords, if you aren't healthy, you have health ailments, there are many reasons why your voice could change. But overall, if you live a healthy lifestyle, or a normal, even we'll say lifestyle, your voice isn't going to change that much in 20 years once that you're 30 to 50. It just isn't, or 35 to 50. So when I was doing research for this show, and I, like I said, I went down the rabbit hole of her Instagram, which is, if you have some time and you're interested, check out her Instagram because there's some weird stuff on there. There's some straightforward, just basic Hollywood stuff on there. And there's a, like a few clips, many clips from her podcast. And so before I play that, and I just want you guys to listen to the difference in her voice. Okay, so this is a, a compilation of a piece of an interview, like that, um, is this from Entertainment Tonight? And I'm trying to see. Um, so 2001, they're talking about why she wrote her book. So in 2001, and this might have been, yeah, she was 32 years old. And again, when you're in your 30s, your voice will change somewhat by the time you're 53, but not like this. Okay, so I've talked enough. Let's listen to Anne Heche talking about why and how and what made her write her memoir, which she is very open about all the crazy circumstances and heartbreaking circumstances of her life. Here we go. More people who talk and say abuse is not something that you should talk about. Um, I completely disagree. Abuse is something that should be talked about so that you don't find yourself wandering through fields, you know, calling for God and screaming for God because it can make you crazy if you don't talk about the pain in your life. So that is part of why I did this. But also part of why I did it is because people watched me go through 
real crazy moments in my life in public and they didn't know what was behind it. And I think it is my responsibility as a public figure. Funnily enough, I only figured that I was a public figure when people were making fun of me and calling me crazy. And I went, ah, maybe they need the whole story here. Um, And then, sure, feel either way about it that you want to feel. But at least you know the story. The incredible things about Ellen and I coming together is that we both had a notion about teaching the world about love. And we bonded over that. It's an interesting thing to be on the other side of that because one of the things that I've realized is that you can't teach people to love, even though you sometimes wish that you could. And I think Ellen and I thought that in representing our love, we could, you know. But you can't. You can't bring somebody to love themselves or you or anybody else. And that's that's an interesting lesson to have learned through that relationship. Okay, so she was also obviously right there talking about her relationship with Ellen DeGeneres, and we'll get into that. But I don't know. Is it possible that you guys are like, what are you talking about? That's just a voice. Sure. But for me, there's just a sweetness about her and an authentic, or I actually want to say an authenticity about her. And nowadays, people pour their hearts out on social media and say, you know, I'm struggling with my bulimia or my anorexia or my alcoholism or my sobriety or quitting smoking or dealing with miscarriages or infertility or, 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 or whatever. They did not do that back in 2001. There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. There was none of this stuff. And there was no, like, when people wrote books, they left that stuff out. They would kind of skim over it. And sure, there's exceptions to every rule. But especially celebrities, they thought, if I want to work, if I had any mental illness stuff, you don't talk about it. You would not consider talking about mental illness. You would just say, you know, I went through a difficult time and I don't want to talk about it. And that's what it was. And so when people like Anne Heche wrote a book like that and she would say, look, this is what happened to me. I was molested. I uh, got herpes, like she says. I, you know, dealt with the loss of my brother that I believed was suicide. And then when she's now this really popular actress after dealing with homelessness and everything in her life, she believes herself to be a straight woman all of the sudden she sees Ellen and gets this magnetic attraction. And she said like a spiritual, not just physical attraction to her. And she starts to date a woman, something that she'd never considered, but fell madly in love with Ellen. And the two of them dated for three years. And it's so funny when I hear that it was three years, it felt like a lifetime because they were such a big deal. Because even when Ellen came out, and again, a lot of my listeners, you guys, and I look at the stats, according to the stats, most of you are in your 20s, some of you are in your 30s, and then it skips, the rest of you are in your 40s and beyond. So I have to tell you, for those of you who are younger, or maybe those of you who don't remember, no one was out of the closet back then. Everything was secretive. Even in 2001, it was still like, mm-hmm. and so back in the 90s, when Ellen had a sitcom, because she was an actress and a comedian first, she had a sitcom where she played a straight woman. And then she did this interview and the interview came out in Time Magazine and on the cover, and it's so funny to say 
magazines because a lot of people, if they read magazines, they read them online. But again, there was no online back then. So magazines were everything, newspapers, magazine, magazines and television. And when you were in the grocery store checkout line, you would see these magazines. So it was really, really important. It was like, you know, breaking the internet when certain things came out, you know, quote unquote, breaking the internet, they say like when Kim Kardashian re releases a nude or whatever. And so this article came out with Time Magazine talking about Ellen and on the cover, it said, yep, I'm gay. And that sent shockwaves through America. Again, she was on a sitcom playing a straight woman, you know, dating and all that. And then her show got canceled because people were like, well, no one's going to believe that she's straight now because she's not. And America thinks it's disgusting. And how dare she? And why does she have to announce it? Why can't she keep that to herself? And that's what happened to her. It was like she was a national embarrassment and a joke except to the gay community that was like, hallelujah, I'm not alone. She was a hero. And then years later, she gets a talk show. And I don't know exactly where in there that she started dating Anne Heche, but it was such a tabloid thing. It was always in the news. Like anytime there was an Oscar or an Emmy show, the two of them were photographed or, you know, videographed or whatever. It was always like, what's Ellen wearing? What's Anne, Anne wearing? Like they became this super couple. And it was just this intrigue and interest and people wanted them to fail because gay couples, ew, that doesn't work. And they moved in together and it was like, how does this work? And then she, you know, I think Anne Heche was on Oprah talking about how she was straight, but then she, she just all of a sudden felt this. And I remember Oprah saying like, that can happen. And I remember watching this interview going, that can happen. Like, is that going to happen to me? Am I all of a sudden one day going to be drawn to a woman? And Again, for you younger people, this is before anybody said anything about the term fluid or changing of pronouns or, you know, bisexual was very like, no one believed it. Bisexual, bisexual, bisexuality was a joke. Like it was sort of like, oh, well, you're gay, but you don't really want to admit it. Or, you know, the running joke was, you're just greedy. You, you want sex from everybody. Or it's gay men who don't want to admit it, who don't really want to come out of the closet, or women who just want to play around with women, but they're really just straight. Like it just, we were so much more repressed than we are today. Like it was a different world. It's almost like the 1950s were to me, when I was a kid, like 1950s, I was like, what's up with the weird clothes and the hair? And, you know, Elvis was so, oh my God, he's shaking his hips. He was seen as obscene. Well, that's how times are now versus the 90s. Like so many things were considered obscene and taboo and you don't talk about them. So back to my relationship with Anne Heche. So now, you know, Anne Heche is a household name. And pretty much every time you see her, she's with Ellen. And it was just, she was everywhere. And the neighborhood I lived in, in Los Angeles, was called Hancock Park. And on one side of Beverly Boulevard were these, at the time, 
$500,000 houses, which was like, wow, you know, now they're for sure a million. And then my little apartment, <laughs> there was like a couple of apartments and then these really nice houses and then a couple of condos and some okay apartments. On the other side of Beverly Boulevard were these huge, beautiful homes. And it's not gated, but gorgeous homes. And men, uh, Melanie Griffith and Antonio Banderas lived over there years and years ago, decades before like old Hollywood lived there. I think Nat King Cole, for those of you who don't recognize the name, he was the originator of the uh, chestnut song at Christmas time. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Okay, Nat King Cole was like the one who made that song what it is today, like a, an American standard classic. So this is a like Hollywood neighborhood. It's right in the thick of things and it's beautiful, but it's not Beverly Hills. Well, Ellen and Anne had a house in that neighborhood and I would go running back then I was training for marathons and I'd run past the houses at the house and they had put in all of this vegetation and all of these trees because all of the other houses around the neighborhood, you could look at them and like, Oh, there's the door, there's the front windows. But Ellen and Anne's house was hidden behind all of these trees. And when you're multimillionaires, you can buy bushes and shrubs and trees that basically are like walls. So you could barely see anything. And I'd be like cranking my neck, trying to see. I never saw anything. I never saw anybody at all. But I knew they lived there. I don't even remember how I knew, but I knew. So in my own little way, that was my connection to them you know, like, or to Anne, I was like, okay, they're right there. They live like half a mile from my house. And then her career, Anne's did, just was cut off at the knees because people didn't know what to make of her. They didn't know what to think of her. It's like, oh, you, you lesbian, you weirdo. And somewhere after that or before, I think it was after, she like abandoned her car out in Malibu or somewhere and we didn't know where she was, not we, but you know, society didn't know where she was and they were looking for her. And it turned out she had gone and just wandered, I think barefoot and knocked on a stranger's house and said she was hungry or thirsty or something. And they let her in and she said she wanted to take a shower because she was God and she, and she was this character named Celestia and she was expecting to go to another planet or whatever. So she had some kind of mental health crisis. And again, back then, they were like, oh, it's drugs. And now I don't know if it was drugs and mental health or mental health and drugs or just mental health or just drugs, but I think she talks about it in her book as being a mental health crisis and perhaps drugs are or were involved. But that too was a huge news story. And she became a joke. It's like, oh, <laughs> this crazy Looney Tune thinks she's going to go to another planet. Like, she's just crazy. She's got to be on drugs. People did not even say the terms mental health. It was just crazy. And if you were, if you had any mental health issues, considered suicide, had depression, anxiety, you did not talk about it. You didn't because nobody wanted the stigma of being crazy. So now she's a lesbian who's originally straight and she's crazy and now she probably has a drug problem. So Hollywood just 
wash their hands of her. They're like, mm, she's a liability. We don't know what to make of her. No one will believe she's straight if she's gay. No one will believe she's gay if she's straight. Like, it, they didn't know what to do with this actress. And she literally, like, disappeared. And she herself says 10 years went by in her career because she couldn't get hired. And then finally she did. But in her book, she talks off and on. She had drug issues and alcohol issues. And even when she crashed her car, what came out in the news is that she was on, on cocaine. As I mentioned, she had the vodka bottle in her car, which really and truly, if you have a miniature vodka bottle, you have an alcohol problem. You can fight me on that one. Go ahead. But nobody buys those things unless you have an alcohol problem or you're like some teenager who stole it or got it from your parents or something. Because adults buy regular size alcohol bottles or they don't buy them at all. They go to a restaurant and get their drinks or, you know, put some drinks in their refrigerator, whatever, make them mar margaritas. You don't have the little tiny um, bottles unless you're sneaking them onto a plane or you have an alcohol problem. And you don't have it in your car, right? It's illegal, especially when hers is probably open. I don't know. And so she talks about the, the, the fact that she had drug and alcohol issues. But I never knew to what extent. I never heard anything else other than the thing where she left her car and wandered over to the house. And so to hear that she possibly had also fentanyl in her system, which is more of a downer. And alcohol is also a suppressant or depressant. But then cocaine is an upper. That made me sad because obviously she was struggling in some way with drugs and alcohol. And that's the next clip I want to play for you is how different her voice is and how, how sort of frenetic she sounds. Like the sweetness, the sort of calm, um, informed speech in that interview I just played for you is no longer there. And this clip is from her podcast. Again, it was from very recently, right before she died. And it's just different. So you can be the judge. I'll see what you guys think. And let me just play a little bit of her original voice, if you will, one more time, and then we can compl compare. Here we go. People to love, even though you sometimes wish that you could. And I think Ellen and I thought that in representing our love, we could, you know. But you can't, you can't bring somebody to love themselves or you or anybody else. And that's a, that's an interesting lesson to have learned through that relationship. So I don't know. I just, again, call me crazy, but I just think she just sounds like a very kind hearted, genuine person. And that always came through in every part she played, not necessarily kind hearted because, you know, maybe her characters weren't kind hearted, but there was a genuine um, and I used this word before, authenticity to her acting. And it was so good and I think underrated. So if you want to look for great performances, just Google Anne Heche movies or performances. She's, she was just that good. Okay, so here is, uh, okay, so this podcast, hmm, does it say the date of when this was posted? Let me see. It doesn't say when it was posted, but again, it's right before she died. And the podcast she did was with her best friend. And her best friend is talking to her about her relationship with Ellen DeGeneres from years ago. And again, years ago, they didn't really 
talk about what happened. It was just over. You know, there was no like expose. There was no interview on ABC or the Today Show. We check in with Ellen. What happened with Anne and Ellen? You know, none of that. They just broke up and nobody really knew what happened. So here we go. This is her best friend and podcast co-host and Anne Heche. All right. We're having a little question and answer period on Better Together with Anne and Heather. Here we go. All right. These are questions that have come up because we had our little chit chat about Ellen the other day. Well, let's just be honest. I've never been asked any questions about my time then or my time now until now. So this is a very unique moment for me where I'm grateful that people are curious. I'm grateful to you, Perez, for doing this because what it does is bring me into a place that is comfortable in its truth, but uncomfortable in its vulnerability because I've never been asked these questions before. And I've always wondered if there would come a moment and now is the moment and I'm appreciative. So I will answer as honestly as I can and also say that I am digesting the fact that this door has opened to me for the first time and it's a vulnerable feeling. So uh, a lot is being unpacked, as as, as you've said. And um, so I want to be delicate in my answer and also let everyone know that I'm not here to do any uh, Ellen bashing. I am here to speak the truth about a time that happened that's important to know. Now, before I play the rest of it, it's just different. It's raspy. It's a little hoarse. She's gasping and she talks in run-on sentences. And obviously you guys can't see the video. She looks very pale, um, thin. I mean, she looks put together, not like crazy. You know, I even hate to use that word, but just off. Like I wouldn't be surprised. And again, this is just my opinion. I could easily be wrong. I wouldn't be surprised if her best friend said, yeah, actually on that day she had done some cocaine as well. Again, I have no way of knowing what's going on in her life, but I've known a lot of alcoholics. I've known a lot of drug addicts. I think when you live in Los Angeles and New York, it's easy to meet a lot of people like that. And I mean, obviously, drug addicts and alcoholics are all over the place, but they're very concentrated in Los Angeles, especially when you wait tables. There's a lot of people who live that lifestyle because when you work in restaurants, you work at night if you're going to make any money. So that means you can drink all night and wake up when you feel like it and sober up enough to go to work at six o'clock at night. And you don't have to worry about a nine to five job. You know, it's very different. So my gut tells me and just watching this interview something's off. Don't know what. I don't know if it's an addiction problem, alcohol, drugs, whatever. That would be my suspicion. I'm no expert. I don't know this woman. And I could be wrong. All the disclaimers. But that's my sense of it. So I'll play a little bit more of the interview. Here we go. Okay. Did you ever try to reach out and make peace with Ellen? You know, every day of my life with her was reaching out to her to make peace. I, I, I think it was a very difficult thing for her to trust that I was a woman who could fall in love with a woman without being gay. And I think that was a lot to process. So I tried to make that process as simple as possible by quitting Hollywood, moving to Ojai, growing gardens, starting to write and direct, which I did with her and Sharon Stone, a, a movie of all things called Misconception. And... Um, and nothing, nothing 
would satisfy her 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 um, soul. Rumors Ellen was far from nice were out there for years. What was your reaction to the toxic workplace controversy? I felt that it was uh, in the hands of the people who needed to speak their truth. I hadn't spoken to Ellen in years, and I feel that the stories that need to be listened to are being told. Did the stuff about her being emotionally abusive to her staff ring true to you? Emotionally abusive is a container for our actions that we've not healed. And unfortunately, the abusive environment was something that I understood. When did you know you needed to break things off with Ellen? I think it was a slow roll when you come to understand the truth of another. I wanted desperately to have that relationship uh, be the love of my life. That was my Cinderella story. What happened was that I was through the circumstances shut out from things that I cared about. And in order to make her feel that she was being loved, I would erase those things from my past, such as acting and replace them with things that I thought would give her a foundation. As we got further and further away from me being able to be in public the way that would please, I began getting further and further away from my friends and my friendships. And one of the things that concerned me very much was that I was beginning to feel shut off and shut down and shut away. And if this answers the question, and I told Ellen that I needed to have friends, she said she did not want to have a girlfriend that needed that. And that is the day I left. Which is, if true, I mean, a bizarre relationship to be in. But just listening to the voice, I'm curious, what do you guys think? What did you hear? I think a lot of times people will sort of make excuses for people. Well, maybe she was tired. Maybe that's just how she sounds. If you watch this video of the podcast, her hands are constantly moving, like her fingers are like gnashing and she rocks a little bit and she looks down and you can hear <gasps> gasping for air when she talks and her run on sentences. And, you know, some of it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. And she kind of makes, she puts words together that don't really make a sentence. And it's just very different than the very sweet person that we originally heard. And in my research, I found out that she also, I believe in 2020 or 2021, was sued by Wells Fargo, I think it was Wells Fargo or bank, because she had defaulted on a $60,000 loan. And then she settled out of court with them. And they said, you know, if you pay $5,200 a month, then we'll call it square until it's paid off, you know. And then just this, I think they said a few, a month or two ago or so, she had stopped paying, which meant if you stop paying on the $5,200 a month, you have to pay the entire amount, which I think was close to 40,000 by now, all at once, which according to the research, she could not afford and she just wasn't paying. And so her life was unraveling before the day she died. You know, she did this podcast. She seems unstable. She's not, she's defaulting on her bills. You know, all of these things. There's another little brief interview where she's, she's talking about a movie that she's, she's doing. And she's like, I'm here outside. I'm here with Joey Lawrence. And she looks high or drunk or both. 
And that brings us to the day she died. You know, I don't know if she was trying to kill herself. I don't know what she was trying to do or if she even knew. But the fact that she crashed twice and didn't like stop and go, oh, my God, what's happening? You know, and she just pulled out of there and just drove. I mean, 90 miles an hour on surface streets is frightening. I mean, most cars that crash in movies blow up and, you know, they catch on fire. Statistically, that doesn't happen. It just doesn't unless you have a catastrophic crash crash, like she had. So here was this woman who came from this tragic place with this messed up family. Again, even if none of that stuff is true, she obviously has some kind of health, mental health issues if she thinks it was. But if it was true, everything she went through, and her mother never denied the homelessness, never denied the fact that her her then husband turned out to be gay and died of HIV. He divorced her and, and you know, turned, I don't know if he married a man or whatever, but never denied the fact that all these siblings died. Now there's one of all the siblings still alive. And, you know, like I said, the homelessness and all of this tragedy, she had every reason to be someone who's suffering. And somehow she pulled it together and created beautiful films and told stories really, really well. And wrote this book, this poignant book, telling her life story. And then had this homosexual relationship, which ostensibly destroyed her career. And then she came back and did some more work. And then she started this podcast. And then her life, for whatever reason, unraveled. She also had gotten married. She had a longtime boyfriend somewhere in there. And she had two sons, um, Atlas and Homer. One of them's 20. One of them, I believe, is 13. Atlas is the younger one of the two. So she leaves behind these two boys who seemingly adored her. Her ex-husband has nothing but kind things to say about her. Her ex-boyfriend has nothing but kind things to say about her. Her friends. So she was a just a special and loving, decent person who was very deeply troubled and ended her life, whether on purpose or by accident, in the most tragic of ways. And when I say it's prophetic and poetic, it's like a a Shakespearean story where there's so much tragedy and so much loss, but then so much beauty and so much gain, the wealth, the celebrity, the popularity, the money, the access, the highs of the highest highs, this love that she didn't know that she could experience and the lowest of lows, drug and alcohol issues. And then to go out literally in a ball of flames and seemingly seem like you're going to survive and then don't. And then this beautiful gift of giving her organs to whomever, I mean, it doesn't get more poetic than that. And I know when I was reading online, all these social media posts and all that. And, you know, people speaking out, well, she could have killed some people. How dare you have, you know, I mean, she was driving like a lunatic. How dare you have any sympathy for her? She's a terrible person. And then there's other people who are like, you know what? She was troubled. 
she didn't kill anybody. She torched this woman's home. You know, that woman lost everything. But even she's like, look, I have my dogs, I have my life, and I have empathy for Ellen. I'm sorry, Ellen. I have empathy for Anne. I think a lot of times our society says you have to either or. You're either Trump or you're Biden. You're either liberal or you're you're conservative. Most people are somewhere in the middle, leaning somewhat left or somewhat right, but mostly in the middle. Most people aren't just, you know, team Chandler or team Monica or whatever from Friends. Most people aren't just black or white. Life is shades of gray. So you don't have to be team A or team B, you know? You can't just like Marvel and hate DC or the other way around. You actually can like both. But our society tries to put us in these boxes and say that if you see what this person did, what Anne Heche did by, you know, driving like a maniac on the streets where she could have killed somebody, you have to despise her because it's reckless and she endangered lives. That is true. But you can also say, how sad that this person's life unraveled so greatly that this is how she died. I can feel both empathy for her pain and suffering and the end of a very tragic high and low life, but I also can be angry and upset that she risked other people's lives. And I can say, the best part is that she didn't kill anybody. It doesn't have to be one or the other. We are deeper than that. We are more profound human beings than that. Anne Heche lived a profound life that ended in complete and utter tragedy. Two sons no longer have a mother. Friends no longer have a friend. Family members no longer have a family member. And it's so heartbreaking. It's truly heartbreaking. Now that she's gone, she sort of had the last word with her actions of crashing into a home. And her life is just left for us to, to, ju us to judge. You can read her book, you can watch her old podcasts, you can check out her social media that's still there, but we'll never really know. I mean, maybe her family will, her friends know, whatever. I mean, her family, her mom and her sister, I guess, are estranged for her, from her or were. But when it comes to relationships with celebrities, like I have this history with this person who I've never met. And when you see that they die, and especially if they've touched you in some way, again, whether it's their music or whether they're an athlete, or in this case, an actress, that in some way you felt this, this connection to, it is sad when they pass. And in my opinion, it's okay to be sad about it. Even if people post on social media, who cares? You didn't know her. I mean, those crass people are going to be out there. Or maybe you're one of those people that's like, I just don't get it, Jody. Sorry. I don't connect with celebrities. I like their shows. I like their music, but I just don't connect. And that's okay, too. But for me, 
had. And I feel almost a little guilty because I'm like, wow, I, I wish that I'd paid closer attention to her films and, you know, maybe paid closer attention to her social media before she died and just enjoyed her, her work before she was gone and there would be no more because she was such a talent and maybe I should read her book, but it is okay to feel whatever you're going to feel as the kids today say to feel some kind of way about the loss of people that you didn't know if they in some way affected your life. 2001 was when 9-11 happened, September. So there was a lot going on. And think back to how long ago that was for those of you who are old enough to remember. Our country has changed so much. We as individuals have changed so much. I have changed so much. I was single. I didn't have a baby. I didn't have, a, obviously, a husband. I didn't have stepkids. I didn't live where I lived. Like, physical ailments. My knees were in better shape. You know, I was thinner, younger, all these things, but I'm wiser now and more experienced. And dare I say better. And my life is informed by my experiences, like all of our lives are, whatever they are, good, bad, and different. And they are informed by art and people we don't know and will never know. And Anne Heche for me is one of those people. I will obviously never know her because she's deceased, but I'll always be touched by her heartbreaking life story to come into the world abused and to go out of the world in pain. It's sad. I think all of us, as we go through whatever we go through in life, we hope that we find a way to have clarity, to have understanding, to know ourselves the best, to be the best that we can be, to work on our mental illness if we have that, if you deal with depression, to find a way out of that hole, if you deal with anxiety, to calm yourself, if you deal with both, to work on whatever you need to work on, if you have food issues, if you have alcohol issues, if you have drug issues, whatever your issues may be, we all hope that we find a way through them and come out on the other side. And that someday when we're old and gray, we look back and we go, I did that. I came through and I'm okay now. Like that's what we all hope for, that we, we go into our sunset years satisfied with our lives. Right? That's what I know I want. And Anne Heche will never get that. And to me, that's the most tragic of all of this. She now is forever young in the same way that Marilyn Monroe is forever young. Your life, your story just stops at an instant, in an instant. 
and we'll never get to see the next chapter. We'll never get to see another movie or performance that she could have provided for us. And she'll never get to that place where she's satisfied with her life and whole. I mean, I don't know how she thinks or feels or felt, but I know how she went out. And it's awful. So it's okay if you feel connections to people you don't know, whether they're celebrities or not. I mean, I guess if you feel a connection to the guy that works at the grocery store and you don't know him, that would be stalking or maybe just a little bit strange. But if there's an author, director, writer, singer, dancer, athlete, whatever it is, if they touch you, that's a beautiful thing because that's what art is supposed to do. It's supposed to convey emotions and feelings and connection. And that's what I felt to Anne Heche. And so when I play the clip of her voice, maybe you guys listening are like, um, okay, it's, it's a nice voice, but you know, nothing special. But it meant something to me. It spoke to me and her story spoke to me. And when I play the second clip where her voice was totally different to me, it wasn't appealing, it wasn't pleasant, it wasn't sweet, it wasn't like the violin, like I said, and she seemed frenetic and possibly unhealthy in some way, whatever that way is, drugs or not, she seemed unhealthy and not stable. And so for me, that connection ends in the most tragic of ways, just like her life did. It just stops. So it just makes me try to appreciate the artists that are out there now that touch us. Like I said, I like John Mayer and Michael McDonald. Um, one of my favorite actors also, like Will, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he had died several years back of a drug overdose. We all have our favorites. And I guess as I wrap up this show, I just want to leave you with that thought that, you know, art plays such a huge role in our lives. Whatever your art form love is, you know, we all have something. One of my good friends just loves to read. She can't like put down a good book. She's just, I wish I was an avid reader like her and somebody else loves podcasts. And, you know, maybe my voice can touch your life in some small way. It's a beautiful thing to have that kind of connection with someone you've never even met. That's a special thing. It's a gift. That's my opinion anyway. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.